Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. I'm Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary. It's my pleasure to talk with you each week about leadership issues, particularly practical leadership issues related to Christian organizations or to churches. Now this week, I want to talk more narrowly about something that's uh, in a lot of our minds, and that is the meeting this week of the Southern Baptist Convention. The Southern Baptist Convention is meeting in Dallas about the same time you're probably listening to this podcast. Now, I'm actually recording the podcast just prior to the convention because, quite frankly, uh, my days at the convention are jam-packed, and it would be difficult for me to record a on-the-spot or a commentary-type podcast about what happens at the SBC. So I thought I would instead talk more generally about <clears throat> the denomination itself, how the Southern Baptist Convention meeting functions, and maybe some myths that people have about that process, and also uh, perhaps some hopes that I have about it going forward. Now, it'll be interesting to listen to this podcast in the context of the decisions that are actually reached at the convention because uh, at this point, there's really no way of predicting what those will be. So I'm going to speak in some general terms and try to reference maybe some issues that are taking place before us uh, without getting into any predictions about what may happen or uh, any premature commentary about what ought to happen or even what will happen. Uh, maybe after the convention, I'll blog about some of these issues, but today on the podcast, let's talk more generally uh, about some myths and misunderstandings and maybe some, some processes and some hopes about how the SBC is working. Uh, I think the first myth about the Southern Baptist Convention is that the SBC processes are broken. Uh, that's been talked about because in recent days, there's been some very public uh, meetings of boards of trustees and uh, very public failures of certain ministry leaders or certain people in different organizations that uh, are sponsored or supported or owned by the SBC. And so when there's a, a, a public uh, failure or there's a public issue or there's a public meeting uh, by the trustees, and it's especially when difficult things are dealt with or, or negative things are dealt with, the automatic assumption by many is, oh, our processes are broken. But really, uh, these are evidences that our processes work. Uh, when a person is discovered to be uh, doing something that's really not appropriate for an, uh, an agency leader or when an agency discovers things about its internal functions that raise questions, uh, that is exactly the role of the trustees to then step in and do something about that. Sometimes trustees in Southern Baptist life are accused of being too passive or being uninformed or being rubber stampers and uh, frankly, I've never met any trustees that were like that. Um, the trustees I've worked with now for, gosh, more than 20 years in Southern Baptist life have all been earnest people who cared about the work and were willing to invest the time in studying the detailed information to make good decisions. And lots of times uh, they do affirm what the leadership wants to do because, quite frankly, the leadership is on track and doing what the trustees have asked them to do. And so it does look like a lot of rubber stamping to, outs, to the outside world, but really it's not. It's careful evaluation and accountability and continued uh, affirmation that leaders are taking us in the direction we ought to go. But when trustees or others have to step in and say, uh, this is not the direction we want to go, that doesn't indicate by any means that our processes are broken. It simply indicates that our processes actually are working. And one of the reasons that this is so difficult for Southern Baptists is that we do much of our work in public. Now, I know that there's always accusations that things get decided in closed-door meetings or behind the scenes, and certainly uh, there are meetings behind the scenes to try to strategize and talk about and figure out what we need to do as a denomination. 
But when it comes to making our decisions, we make those decisions in public. And they're reported in the press, and they're, they're announced in open meetings, and sometimes even the processes become public, and that's where it becomes painful. But that pain is an essential part of our, of, our, uh, of our function and of the way we work. And so the SBC processes are not broken just because there's difficulty or turmoil or even division that has to come over some hard decisions. Another myth is that the SBC is somehow divisive. I sometimes hear people say, well, denominations are divisive and we just need to do away with denominations. Well, I think that's exactly backwards thinking. Uh, the reality is that denominations are actually attempts at unity. Uh, the Southern Baptist Convention is an attempt to try to work together, and 40,000-plus churches uh, want to do that. Those churches have banded together and said uh, that they're willing to submit uh, themselves to each other in a fellowship kind of way and to go forward together uh, as a result of that. that. That's not being divisive. That's working toward unity. Now, the fact that there's various kinds of denominations in Christianity doesn't necessarily mean that there's a, uh, that there's a greater divert division. It means that there's been unity and coalescing around shared convictions. And quite frankly, uh, there are always going to be differences of opinion about some doctrinal issues and certainly some practical issues and some political issues. And so for churches to rally together with people and, or with other churches who agree with them is actually an attempt at unity, uh, not a, an attempt at being divisive. I think there's this uh, utopian myth in the minds of some believers that, the, that, that, that Christianity would be best served if it was one giant worldwide denomination. And quite frankly, there's just too much diversity in our world for that to, for that to really happen. And it may be even that God doesn't want that to happen because of the need to have different expressions of Christian faith that relate to how we express ourselves culturally and how we express ourselves uh, generationally, how we express ourselves in terms of uh, language. And so the, uh, the SBC as a denomination is not an attempt at being divisive or not an example of divisiveness. It's actually a stride toward unity. Now, the fact that there's a lot of divisiveness within the family uh, is to be expected when you have this many people trying to do something this important, which is get the gospel to the whole world. Uh, there's going to be some difference of opinion about that, and there's going to be some strain and some stress and some heartache about that. Uh, sometimes people say that the Southern Baptist Convention is a big family. Well, if that's the case, then think about your own family. Uh, the, the myth of the one big happy family, uh, I don't know that that really exists. I mean, we have a pretty healthy family, but occasionally we get crossways with each other and have strong words and have to work out co conflicts or difficulties, and we have to show each other a lot of grace and a lot of, uh, uh, give each other a lot of room and a lot of space, and sometimes different ones of us make decisions that the other ones don't necessarily agree with, but hey, we're a family, and we have to figure out how to work through the divisions that come among us, and Southern Baptists are the same way. So while there is sometimes divisiveness within the family, and that's a part of being a family, uh, that doesn't mean that the family itself or the fact that we've become a family is divisive in the broader realm of Christianity. So I, I think it's a myth that denominations equal divisiveness. I think they can be a source of unity for many, many, many churches. Another myth is that the Southern Baptist Convention is somehow failing. Now, to be sure, uh, we have our failures meaning that we have moments when we're not at our best or when things don't go like they should, or we have uh, an entity or a, an organization or, or some aspect of our work that's struggling. There's no question about that. 
uh, we're a failed and we're, we're a flawed organization that's going to have some failure attached to it. But that doesn't mean that the SBC itself is failing. In fact, when you look at what's happening through us, it's really kind of amazing. Uh, more than 4,000 missionaries serving internationally, hundreds of churches being planted domestically every year, uh, large publishing organizations and, and Christian retail organization like Lifeway, uh, state-of-the-art retirement and insurance products being available through Guidestone Plus, Guidestone's Mission Dignity Program, which is a, a, a true miracle and asset among Southern Baptists that we're doing so much to care for people who have so little, who've served so faithfully over the years. And then uh, ERLC, uh, of course, sometimes controversial for many, but isn't that what they're supposed to be? They're supposed to speak prophetically about difficult issues and, and uh, call Southern Baptists to think theologically and profoundly about what's happening in our culture. But nevertheless, just because they speak to and sometimes are controversial themselves doesn't mean that that, that aspect of our work is failing. Now, what does concern me about the SBC at large is not the failing of the denomination and its structures or its entities, but the fact that the churches, so many of them, are, are struggling. Uh, this is the great uh, challenge that Southern Baptists face, face moving forward in the future, and I'm going to talk about that a little more later in the podcast. So, some myths. The SBC is broken? I don't think so. Uh, the SBC is divisive? Not really. The SBC is failing? Well, it always has some failures, but to say that it's failing, that's, a, that's too much, that's too strong of a statement in my view. Another uh, myth or another issue that I want to address is this, and that is some people think that the Southern Baptist Convention uh, is the same thing as the Southern Baptist denomination, and that the Southern Baptist Convention actually controls the Southern Baptist denomination. That is simply not true. It's not true according to our polity, and it's not true practically. The Southern Baptist Convention really, technically, is a two-day annual meeting that happens every summer. Uh, when the convention is assembled, it is the Southern Baptist Convention. Now, as a result of that meeting, the Southern Baptist Convention has created some structure that has come to be known as the Southern Baptist Convention. And that structure is, first of all, housed in the executive committee of the SBC. The executive committee is elected by the convention every summer to be the convention during the interim between the meetings. So the Southern Baptist Convention, as a voting entity and as a legal entity, exists really for about uh, two days a year. And then the Southern Baptist Convention continues to exist through its executive committee and then through the entities that it has created. Now, that is the Southern Baptist Convention. But the Southern Baptist denomination is much larger. Uh, the Southern Baptist denomination includes, for example, uh, the state conventions. There are more than 40 of them. And these state and regional bodies of Baptists are not accountable to the Southern Baptist Convention. They are in cooperative relationship with the Southern Baptist Convention. And because the same churches make up the state or regional conventions that comprise the Southern Baptist Convention, it's often perceived by outsiders that there's some hierarchical relationship, but there's not. The churches relate directly to the Southern Baptist Convention by sending messengers if they choose, and the churches relate directly to their state conventions by sending messengers to them as they choose. And then in many cases, churches are also affiliated with local Baptist associations, which is a local expression of mission enterprise right in their area. 
and the, those 1,200 associations across our country are also uh, comprised of Southern Baptist churches, but they're not affiliated with or directly accountable to the Southern Baptist Convention. And then think of all the things that the state conventions and the, state and the local associations do. Uh, for example, they have colleges, they have conference centers, they have retreat centers, they have camps. Uh, these local associations and state conventions have children's homes. They have retirement centers. They've launched, and in some cases still control, vast medical centers that have turned into huge hospitals in some cities. Uh, the, the Southern Baptist denomination consists of all of these things. And then beyond that, there are all kinds of independent ministries that have been started by Southern Baptist churches or Southern Baptist associations or Southern Baptist state conventions. And every one of those independent ministries may function with its own board or its own guiding group. And that and they may very much identify themselves as a Southern Baptist ministry, but they also are not accountable to the Southern Baptist Convention. The Southern Baptist denomination is much, much larger than the Southern Baptist Convention. Now, the Southern Baptist Convention, because of its uh, meeting in the summer and because of its national uh, reach and, and uh, national uh, uh, impact, does have the opportunity to influence the rest of the Southern Baptist denomination, but it doesn't have any control. This is so puzzling to outsiders because they're used to a hierarchical uh, structure in other denominations. They're used to, used to a hierarchical structure in our government. They're used to a hierarchical structure in the military and in corporate America. But that hierarchical structure does not work in Southern Baptist life. So the Southern Baptist Convention meets every summer. It then elects an executive committee, and then it also uh, uh, establishes entities like seminaries and mission boards and other organizations. And so the Southern Baptist Convention has a national and international reach, but the Southern Baptist denomination is spread across this nation in state conventions, local associations, and those ex express themselves in all the different ways I described and all the different ministries I described, and all of that together is the Southern Baptist denomination. That's why... While what happens every summer at our annual meeting is significant because it does have great influence, it is not determinative. In other words, it doesn't control what happens in states, associations, and certainly not in the churches. Well, uh, that's a brief summary of some of the myths and misunderstandings about the convention. But another qu question I get asked often is, well, how does the Southern Baptist Convention actually work? In other words, when we meet every summer, what, what's the process for, by which we get anything done? Well, first of all, uh, the churches send messengers to the annual meeting. And those messengers are sent by the churches to deliver messages from the church and to take messages back to the church. They're not technically delegates. In other words, the church doesn't direct them how to vote or control them in any way. And they don't have to represent the church or its interests in any particular fashion. The messenger comes as a Baptist uh, with soul competency and, uh, and priesthood before God with a, with a responsibility to seek God's leadership and direction before casting votes on the matters that come before the convention. So the churches start out by sending messengers, not delegates, to the annual meeting. Now the messengers then take action on various uh, proposals and motions that are brought before them. Uh, probably the two most significant things, that, uh, well, there's really three significant things the messengers do. Uh, first of all, the messengers vote uh, to adopt the annual budget. 
Now, you might think there's a lot of arguing and haggling and debating that goes on about the budget, but really there's not. In fact, I don't believe I've ever heard in probably 20 or more years that I can remember a question ever even being asked from the floor of the convention about the budget. And here's why. The convention budget is determined by policy and by percentage. In other words, there's a fixed percentage that's been adopted by the executive committee uh, and recommended to the convention that goes to the International Mission Board, a fixed percentage that goes to the Home Mission or to the, Interna uh, to the uh, North American Mission Board, a fixed percentage that goes to the seminaries, to the ERLC. Uh, these fixed percentages are allocated to show the priority of Southern Baptists. So I think about 51% of our money goes to the International Mission Board, and then um, about 23 or 4 percent go to the seminaries and about 25 or 7 percent go to, goes to NAM. And while these percentages can adjust very slightly year to year, uh, they're carefully structured to show the priority of where we want the money to go. And so the convention adopts its budget, and it is the, the final say on how its money gets spent, but it's usually um, almost always uh, determined by the percentages that the convention has put in place to make sure the priorities are maintained year to year in the budget. For example, I don't go to any meeting as the president of Gateway Seminary and ask for more money. Uh, I don't appeal for more money. I don't, I don't make my case for more money. I know that I'm going to be allocated a percentage of the resources of the Southern Baptist Convention in proportion to our mission so that the most of the money goes to international missions, the next most of the money goes to North American missions, the next money goes to the seminaries, and then some for the other work that we do. This is a good process because it keeps us from responding to emotional appeals in the moment and keeps us focused on the priorities of where we want the money to go. Another significant thing that churches do is elect the trustees of our various entities. Now, there's about 900 trustees, I think, that serve in all the different capacities, and uh, they're all elected by the Southern Baptist Convention. Now, they're not all elected every year. There's a rotating process by which that the boards turn over slowly to get, uh, assure continuity of leadership. And so, for example, normally at Gateway Seminary, we'll get four to six trustees each year. Now, this year's remarkable for us. We're getting 12 new ones. That's a very large number, but it's a number that's been created by the fact that we've had some resignations we weren't expecting, and some people have moved from one ministry to another in a different state. Therefore, they have to give up their role from the state where they were elected. And so um, we're getting a larger number this year. But normally we get about four to six trustees, and normally most boards get about that many each year. And this uh, is the way that the convention controls and directs its entities, by electing the trustees. Now, you may say, well, I think the Southern Baptist Convention ought to get to vote on what its uh, seminaries do, or it ought to get to vote on what its mission boards do. No, you really don't want that. We're now leading, in every case, multi-million and, in, in aggregate, a multi-billion dollar organization with hundreds and hundreds of missionaries and hundreds and hundreds of other employees. And to do the business of the Southern Baptist Convention and to take into account all the legal and ethical and and contractual obligations we have as entities, and to do that on the floor of the convention, that would lead to chaos. And the convention, in its wisdom, years ago recognized that this would take place, and so they elected trustees who hold the work of the convention in trust, 
and make sure that it's done in a trustworthy fashion. So the Southern Baptist Convention elects 39 uh, men and women from across Southern Baptist life and sends them to be the trustees of Gateway Seminary. It does the same thing for all the other entities. Now these trustee boards are made up of pastors and laymen and laywomen. They're made up of younger leaders and older leaders. They're a cross-section of where we are geographically because they come from all over the nation. Uh, they're also a growing, there's also a growing diversity on our boards in terms of ethnicities and, uh, and racial background. And all of this gives each trustee board uh, a, a good cross-sectional approach to the decisions that have to be made. Now, these trustees make, uh, in every case, the most important decision, and that is who's going to be president. I don't say that just because I'm a president. I say that because the most important decision any trustee makes is, or any, in, any convention makes is, uh, excuse me, the most important decision any trustees make is who's going to be the leader, because once they choose the leader, they, choose the, they chart the direction and, the, and they lay out somewhat the vision for where the organization's going to go. Now, in most cases, uh, the Southern Baptist trustees have chosen entity leaders who last for 10, 15, 20, sometimes 25 years in their roles. And by doing that, they provide a, a continuity and a longevity of impact that really is essential to our work. And so the, the convention controls its entities by electing trustees. So the budget is a significant vote. The, the, the trustees' selection is a significant vote. And then the third most important thing that convention does every summer is adopt resolutions. The resolutions are opportunities for the convention to speak on issues. Now, quite frankly, these are also oftentimes some of the most controversial aspects of the convention. Um, there are all kinds of resolutions that get submitted on all kinds of issues, and there's a resolutions committee that's responsible to work through those, and they get dozens and dozens of these, and there's no way the convention can act on all of them in, 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 in every year. And so they bring forward those they believe are the most pertinent for the day or for the moment or for the season in which we're working. And there's a lot of factors that go into making those decisions. Like, for example, did the convention already speak on this issue in the last two or three years? If so, we probably won't repeat ourselves. Uh, or is there some issue that the convention needs to speak on that really is germane to the whole work of all that we're doing as Southern Baptists? And, or is it something that's more parochial or more regional or, or simply more of an axe-to-grind type resolution? And those usually get excluded by the committee. So the resolutions that the convention adopts are significant, but it's important to keep this in mind. The resolutions are not binding. Now, again, media, uh, secular media particularly, take these resolutions as being conclusive, absolute statements of what Southern Baptists believe and what all Southern Baptists will do. That's just simply not the case. Uh, by our polity, the resolutions that are adopted by the convention are a statement of what the particular Baptist gathered in that particular meeting wanted to express as their particular opinion. Uh, they're not binding even one day after the convention. Now, they become influential for example, I take very seriously the resolutions because I work for an entity that's owned by the Southern Baptist Convention. So when the convention resolves something, um, we try to honor that as a seminary and honor that in our decision making and honor that in what we do as a school. But not every resolution is binding on every Baptist, and certainly the churches are free to respond to them however they, they may choose. Well, these are some of the myths and some of the processes of Southern Baptist. Now, let me ask and answer another important question, and that is, why do I stay and why have I remained a Southern Baptist in spite of our shortcomings, in spite of the problems, in spite of the complexities, in spite of the difficulties? Uh, why have I stayed? Well, really, uh, this, came, this was crystallized for me a number of years ago. 
A number of years ago, I was really upset about the way they S- the SBC was acting, and I was talking with an older leader who was a pretty progressive-minded guy, and I was lamenting to him about how stupid our decisions were and how ridiculous our processes were and how cumbersome our decision-making was and how frustrated I was with how we were presenting ourselves in public life. And uh, as, I, uh, as I finished my tirade, he said to me, I agree. Now, where, where are we going? And I said, excuse me? He said, you're right, Jeff. This, this thing's a mess. So where are we going? You tell me where we're going, and I'm going with you. Well, I just sat there and kind of looked at him, and he kind of looked at me, and then he smiled and said, that's what I thought. He said, you see, Jeff, all man-made systems are problematic, and every denomination is a man-made system. And so what we have to decide is where do we want to invest ourselves where we think we can get the most accomplished for the most good of God's kingdom in spite of the problems we have. And he said, until something better comes along, I think I'll just stick with what we're doing. Well, that was an important conversation for me because ever since that day, in spite of the trouble and the difficulty and the problems and the shortcomings, I've tried to focus on the reasons to stay connected to Southern Baptists and the reasons why I want to be a part of this movement. And really, there's three for me. The first is the doctrine. I think, by and large, Southern Baptists have the clearest understanding of any group that I've been able to discover about the core doctrines of our faith and how they should be applied, both in church life and in public life. I like the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. Yes, if I were rewriting it, I'd probably change a word here or a word there or make it clearer here or clearer there, but... Overall, it's a great document, and it's a, it's a guiding document that gives us a confessional center that we can all hold to, and I like being a Southern Baptist because of our doctrinal convictions. Second, I, I like being a Southern Baptist because of our mission. Uh, we're on a mission to get the gospel to as many people as possible, and when we're at our best, that's what's on our minds, that's what's on our hearts, and that's what's on our lips. It's getting the gospel to as many people as possible. And in spite of the fact that there are many voices that are constantly trying to get us off track, I know that's at the core of why we exist, and I'm committed to our mission, so that's why I stay. And then finally, I'm I'm committed because I like our strategy. I like being cooperative. Uh, If you want to be an independent Baptist or an independent Bible church, go ahead and do that, and go, go and be blessed. But we've decided we're going to be a cooperative denomination. We're going to work together. And I like the word denomination because it's a math word. It means denominator. You remember, your, you remember fractions? You know, in fractions, there's the numerator. That's the top number. And the denominator, that's the bottom number. And to add fractions, you have to have common denominators, meaning the bottom numbers all have to match. That's what a denomination is supposed to be like. We're, we're supposed to all match in some significant way so that our work can all be added together. I like being cooperative. It's hard to cooperate some days, I know that, but I still like being cooperative because I see the power in it. I see the fact that because there's a cooperative commitment of Southern Baptists, for example, Gateway Seminary is able to exist. There's no way over the last 75 years that the small number of Southern Baptist churches in the Western United States could have produced a seminary like this one. But because we're a part of a cooperative effort, a great seminary has been produced. Uh, We have 4,000-plus missionaries serving all over the world. There's no way that an independent church could do that. No way an independent church could usually even do one-tenth of that, maybe even one percent of that. But now, working together, we have this capacity to do so much more than anyone can do individually. I'm frustrated today by the number of Southern Baptists who really want to be independent Baptists but be Southern Baptists in name only. Uh, They may want to own the doctrine, and they, they may even like the mission, but they don't want to own the strategy. 
Listen, being a Southern Baptist is about being doctrinally sound and being committed to the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. Uh, it's about being on mission with the gospel, getting the gospel to as many people as possible. But it's also being uh, owning a cooperative strategy and saying we're going to work together, meaning we're going to pool our money, we're going to pool our influence, and we're going to pool our decision-making so that we can get more done together than we can get done independently. Well, I'm at the Southern Baptist Convention while you're hearing this podcast. Some of you will be there too. Some of you will just be listening to it. Uh, when this meeting is over this week, the Southern Baptist Convention will move on. Uh, we've had difficulty before. We've had controversy in our past. We've had to make hard decisions. We've had some public issues that embarrassed us, and we may have one or two this year that are in the same vein. But ultimately, because God is at work through us, we're going to carry on, and we're going to see his work accomplished. I'm committed to that. I know you are. So let's get busy and lead on.